welcome to the Radiant Podcast. I'm your host, Kelsey Chapman, and if there's one thing I believe, it's that you're capable of making your dreams a reality and that the world needs you to be living out your purpose. One thing I love is to chat with people doing impactful work in hopes that we can all learn something from the conversation. Not to mention, we get to apply all of that wisdom to our own journey. Each week, you will hear just that here at the Radiant Podcast. So without further ado, let's get to it. Welcome back to the Radiant Podcast, and this week we have my friend Michelle Knight joining us. Michelle is a branding and business mentor and the host of the Free to Be Podcast. Michelle is living proof that no matter what obstacles life may throw at you, you have the power to write your own ending. After the loss of her brother and overcoming physical and emotional self-harm, Michelle decided to change her story to one with purpose, kindness, and love as a mother, wife, and entrepreneur. Today, she supports entrepreneurs in creating a freedom-based business and lifestyle. Guys, I loved this conversation, and I think you'll find it as encouraging and inspiring as I did. Michelle brings true vulnerability and transparency to the table as she talks about her journey with perfectionism and practicing kindness to herself. I think it's something that we can all relate to, and I'm so thankful that you guys get to listen in. As always, if you love this episode, please screenshot it, share it on your Instagram stories, your feed, tag Michelle and I, and tell us what you love about the episode. Of course, it helps spread the word to your friends about the Radiant Podcast as well, and we would love to hear from you and spread the word. So without further ado, let's dive in. Hey, Michelle. Hey, Kelsey. Thanks for having me. I am pumped to have you on. When I got connected with you online, I was immediately drawn to um, your ability to be an overcomer. You're not someone who has um, just never gone through anything hard in your life, and I'm happy and showing up. So I really felt like when we got connected, you would be a perfect person to just get down to the nitty gritty, talk about the hard stuff in life and really help people show up as their full authentic selves with all, all the moving parts of who they are and what they've gone through with their brand. And so I am so excited for my listeners to meet you and get to know you. Could you start by kind of sharing your story and who you are, what you do? All the things. Yeah, absolutely. So thank you for that intro. I This is my favorite part of being an entrepreneur, that I get to share these sides of my own story to give women permission to do the same. And, you know, it really all kind of started for me when that first, like, really hard thing happened in my life. And it was actually the loss of my brother to childhood cancer. And, you know, it he he was diagnosed while I was in school in Chicago for musical theater, which was my, my first love. And I moved home immediately to be with my family. And I, while my brother was going through this horrible, horrible diagnosis, I was also going through kind of my own discovery and realizing that the life that I had ultimately created didn't fill me up anymore. But it wasn't until my brother actually ended up passing away from childhood cancer that I decided to make a change. And I I say that's really where my story shifted because I started to become really aware of what was happening in my life, the decisions I was making, the choices, uh, the people I was hanging out with. And I decided to to change everything. And over the next couple of years, I, I really focused on those core pieces. Like what would allow me to live my most free life? I changed jobs a lot. <laughs> I decided not to go to school for musical theater in the, anymore and ended up majoring in public relations and communications. I fell in love with my brother's best friend and we got married. And, and then a, another big change happened. And that was the birth of my son. 
And when my son was born, my world really just flipped upside down. Everything that I thought I knew about myself up to this point didn't feel true anymore. And one of the things that happened to me that I didn't expect to happen was actually going through postpartum depression. And during the time, I didn't know that's what was happening because everything that I had heard before from people, you know, sharing their journey was that they had these negative thoughts to their child. And I never felt that I was having these feelings towards myself. I didn't understand who I was anymore. I didn't recognize who I was when I even looked into a mirror. And it was a very difficult time in, in my own life. But from that came this desire to, to do more, to be more. And I decided that that didn't involve me working a nine to five anymore. It, it involved me starting my own business. And I set out on this journey. I had no idea what I was doing. No niche in mind, no nothing. <laughs> and, and I started creating this business. And for six months, my husband and I worked side by side with a baby, like, you know, taking care of a baby, working on my website, working a nine to five. And we, we launched this design and website business. And like a week after we launched it, I turned to my husband, we had zero clients by the way. So it's not like (laughs) we had all these clients lined up, but I turned to my husband. I was like, I don't think this is what I want to do. I think this was just another gateway to something bigger. And I took some time and realized that what I really wanted to do was work one-on-one with women, to mentor women, to coach women, and to help them really narrow in on their own story and create a brand and a business around that. And so fast forward two years now of signing my first client, of, of making that switch. And, you know, I've been really fortunate to to not just create a financially sustainable business that supports my family and has allowed me to leave my nine to five, but I get to work with women every freaking day and really help them through the hard stuff, figure out what is it that they can share with the world? How can they make this impact? What's their true purpose and their true calling? And it's so much fun. So now I get to serve as a branding and business mentor for female entrepreneurs, helping them with launching, running and scaling. I work with entrepreneurs at various levels because I've been an entrepreneur at various levels. And the one thing that unites all the women that I am so fortunate to work with and, and have built a community around is their desire to share their story with the world and do it authentically. So that is the version. (laughs) That is my story. That has kind of led us to where we are today. Wow. We have so many things to talk about. So one thing I noticed you mentioned is that you married your brother's best friend. How, what was the age difference between you and your brother? Was that really something that, you know, only the two of you could understand or just a special, like he knew your brother in a way that, you know, some, a stranger wouldn't. How special. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really quite beautiful. One day I hope it turns into a movie, but <laughs> I, I always joke. But, you know, my brother was only two and a half years younger than me, and we were absolute best friends. We did everything together. And my now husband has been my brother's best friend since preschool. And so we grew up together as well. And, you know, he jokes that I was always like the hot older sister, you know, but I, <laughs> yeah. I can, you know, I can say with certainty that I never looked at him that way growing <laughs> up. <laughs> and so it, 
it wasn't even intentional, but after my brother passed away, he really started to come see my mom a little bit more. And I was, you know, kind of back home at the time after my brother had passed away to be there for them. And we just started hanging out. And there was this moment that we were both at a, a friend's wedding and we danced and I texted my best friend and I was like, I think we have a problem. I was like, I think I like, you know, Ben. And she was like, wait, what Ben? So she's like, don't say anything. Don't do anything. But then I ended up ultimately telling another friend who spilled the beans and we just kind of dove into it. And it it felt so natural for us because again, we could openly talk about the things that we were going through, but we're also very opposite. And when we first started dating, we were even more opposite than we are now because we've been together for almost 10 years now. But he pulled things out of me, like my free spirit that I had never really tapped into. And so we just complimented each other so well. And we're like, well, let's do it. Let's let's do it for the long haul. Wow. Wow. What a story. I hope that gets made into a movie as well. So, you know, you start dating Ben. Do you go back to school? Do you start school locally? I know you mentioned you were a theater major and changed to a PR major. What kind of shifted then? Because I can imagine this, you know, sent you on a quest of what do I really want out of life? Hence the changes. What was next? Yeah. So I kind of realized that although I loved theater, it it was a part of me that didn't light me up anymore. And I didn't, I wasn't really in love with the lifestyle, let's put it that way, of someone who moves to New York and, you know, is really far away from family and things like that. Cause that was always kind of my dream. So when Ben and I started dating, we quickly realized that in order for us to really grow as humans, we needed to grow away from everyone who knew us separately because you know, we both had our friends. We have known each other for so long. Our, our our parents were friends. And so we decided to move to Chicago. So we moved to Chicago. This is, I've never shared this story. I love this question. <laughs> we moved to Chicago with no jobs, with about $1,000 that I had saved up for my waiting table job. And we rented this tiny little broken down apartment <laughs> on the north side of Chicago in Rogers Park. And we, the first mission was to get jobs. So we did that. And then one day I just felt this desire to start learning again. And we happened to move a block away from Loyola University, which ironically enough is where I originally had a scholarship to when I had graduated high school, but didn't pursue. And I walked in and I started talking to them and they offered me financial money. And so I signed up for the semester (laughs) and I started going to school for PR and communications because I was really looking for another way to just share a story. You know, that's one of the reasons I love musical theater is that I could, I could be on a stage and I could share this story and I could communicate with people. And so when I started thinking about what did that look like now, I was really pulled to the idea of advertising, marketing, communication. So I ended up graduating from Chicago, uh, from Loyola, Chicago, with my bachelor's in PR communication. Wow. Yes. I have friends who went to Loyola, so I've been up there to visit. So you're very familiar. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So you go, you know, you're in school, you're married. Are you, are y'all married at that point or just together in a new city? I totally understand moving to a new city to kind of create your own identity as a couple because David and I really came into our own when we moved to Colorado. You know, where where we were living in Tennessee was my territory. He didn't have a history there other than going there for a little Bible college. But, you know, it was very easy for us to 
you know, be with our friend groups. And he had history with everyone in one friend group. And then I had history with everyone in another. And so it was really fun to kind of make friends together here. Yeah, absolutely. And that was what we really recognized. And I think too, we were growing so fast together because we were pulling out these qualities in each other that we hadn't explored before. And some of our friends and family could kind of couldn't resonate with that. You know, it felt like we were new people. And so we were like to fully explore this, to see if this is actually going to work, we're going to move to this city. So we hadn't even been together a year when we moved. We had only, (laughs) we had only been together for eight months and it was difficult. Like we always, (laughs) we always talk about those, those, that first year, really our apartment was so small. We worked opposite schedules. So I ended up waiting tables. So I was actually waiting tables full time. There was a period where I had like three jobs. And when I finally got promoted to bartender and could leave the other jobs behind, I was making enough to live off of. So I was working nights and going to school during the day. And my husband was actually working the same shift Monday through Friday. So we like never saw each other. And so it was an experience. It was an experiment actually. Actually, to <laughs> to kind of see like how does this work? But we ended up saying, hey, this is cool. And we did it for two years. And then we ended up getting married at that point. So the whole time we lived in Chicago, actually, we were just dating and making it work. But it was such a cool experience because it was the first time either of us had just dove headfirst into something yeah, and not really sure how it was going to pan out. And that worked so well that that's basically all we do now. <laughs> we well, just make decisions. <laughs> yeah. And the same, you know, David and I, I um, have basically spent our first four years of marriage on opposite schedules. He's in school working. He works all day, does school. I built my own business. I'm getting to a place where I like have free time and have space. But for, you know, the last four years, we felt a significant shift in August, which was about the four year mark of like, okay, I'm in a groove with my stuff to where I do have free time. He still has no free time and no life because he's in school, but it's, it's just kind of a making it work. It's like a puzzle. It's Tetris with your schedules to like maybe hang out one day a week (laughs) during those, during this season. But I, I know it'll pay off as, you know, as it sounds like it did for you guys. So you put yourself through school and it sounds like you went and worked a day job for a while because I, I I heard you say you ended up deciding to leave to start that business with your husband. So how long did you stay, you know, kind of working for a nine to five? When did you feel safe to take the risk to move into the next phase? What happened next? Yeah, so we ended up moving home to St. Louis, Missouri, where we're both from when we got married because we just couldn't afford housing in Chicago. Honestly, that's the only reason. So we decided to move back home and I just was kind of on this goose chase of like, what am I doing? I ended up actually working at a PR firm right out and then realized, well, I don't want to be in the PR firm world, right? I loved the idea of communication, but I didn't like the high stress of that industry. And I ended up finding my way into the nonprofit world. And I loved every second of it. And I know that's not something you typically hear from people in the entrepreneur space that they actually loved their job before they left. But I really did. I I was working in advocacy for a local food bank and I would go to DC for work and I would talk to legislators and I would go to the state capitol. And I eventually moved my way up to communication manager. And all of that happened right before Cal was born. So I had zero intention. Uh, going into my maternity leave that I 
wouldn't come back full time. Okay. And then everything really shifted. Yeah. Yeah. So everything shifted when he was born. Did you experience postpartum depression immediately? What kind of transpired from there? Because I think that's so important to talk about. A, for listeners who may be experiencing it, may experience it one day, or be able to recognize that in a friend. Mm. Oh yeah. I think that's really powerful because now when I talk to my friends, like they and family, sometimes they'll cry because they didn't necessarily see it and you couldn't communicate it with them. Right. Like in the moment. So now that I have been outside of it for almost three years now, which is crazy, I look back and I think it was almost immediate. I didn't, I had a very long labor. I actually had a home birth. So a natural home birth and it, it spanned over 30 or over three days. So it was like 80 hours. And a lot of that, now that I look back was not so much the, like, he didn't want to come into this world as much as it was my uh, inability to become vulnerable and kind of let go and let it happen. And so after he was born, I was very exhausted. And then I started going through the, the stress of being a new mom, right? Questioning, am I doing this correctly? <laughs> Worrying, like, is this working? Is the breastfeeding working? Are they gaining weight? Does this poop look correct? You know what I mean? Like any moms listening are probably like, oh my gosh. <laughs> and then on top of that, I had zero control. And I am a recovering perfectionist. It has been a long journey. It has been sped up over the last couple of years since I've become aware of it. But at this time, I was not aware of how much this was really impacting me and my mental health. And so I didn't know how to fix how I was feeling. I didn't know how to, you know, take care of all the new things that were happening in my life. You're tired. And so I, it was immediate for me. And it really continued, I would say, for about three months until my son and I finally figured out our breastfeeding problems. And because that was one of the hardest things for me as a perfectionist, as someone who, you know, does not want to fail. (laughs) I mean, we never want to fail, but, you know, all of those pieces, it was really hard to to be like, well, I can't do this one thing that I wanted to do. And, And when we finally got that worked out, I think I started to kind of feel you know, a little bit more whole again, but I wasn't fully through it. I was now going through the changes of like, who am I? Right. Like, okay, I figured out this mom thing for the time being. Yeah. Now, who am I as a woman? And so that just started, you know, another transition, which really being an entrepreneur helped with that entire process. Wow. So are you an Enneagram one? You know, I don't know. People have asked me this. I need to take the test. Someone told me they thought I was an eight. Okay. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, I mean, only you will be able to determine, but I just wondered with kind of your, your self-identifying terms of perfectionism and also just part of your story being overcoming negative self-talk. So I just wondered, but how, you know, is that when self-talk started? I mean, obviously as an outsider, I can look in and be like, you are failing, but when, but I hear this time and time again from new mothers or just people in general, when, when their body is not doing something they want it to do, that feels like failure. Is that kind of where negative self-talk started or did it, has it gone way back? And that was another opportunity for expression. I think it goes way back, <laughs> like okay. way back, way back. 
And I think too, that like, these are things that I've only become aware of in the last three years, because I, I definitely dealt with this in high school, but I was not aware of it in high school. I now looking back, I can understand how I was constantly stressing myself out, right? Like I would, I was dealing with health issues on a regular basis because I was constantly just striving for this perfectionism that wasn't possible and telling myself there was always more to do. And you you know, there's even a period of my life where the self-talk turned into self-harm in the in the way of how I was like, what I was consuming and the actions that I was taking and things like that. And and so I think it's always been there. And but I wasn't aware of it. I wasn't aware of how how much I was really putting this label on myself that wasn't ultimately true. I hope that makes sense to your audience. Oh um, yeah, and I think people who experience negative self-talk regularly will 1000% identify with this. And then some people won't because they don't know the extent of how bad it can feel. So at what point did you recognize that whatever your version of normal was, was not healthy for you? Yeah. I think the first time I realized it was when my brother passed away. It was a time in my life when I was drinking a lot. I was making poor health choices. And when my brother passed away, I was like, literally asked myself, what are you doing? Right? Like people don't get this opportunity to live a full life. You just watch someone that you love, get that taken away from them. And now you're going to waste yours. That doesn't make sense, you know? So it was really, I think that was the first time that I was like, you've got to make this change. Like you've got to start being aware of the, the things that you're saying to yourself, the way that you're treating yourself and the things that you're doing in this world. And at the time I didn't recognize you know, fully what that was. But after Cal was born, I realized that it was really this label that I had been carrying for so long about, you know, being perfect. Yeah. And it was a label that was put on me by my teachers, by my coaches, by people that, you know, love me, but didn't know better. And so it's something that I'm super aware of now as being a mother and just having conversations with people around me. So I think that's like the first shift, but then it's just been an awareness that has grown year after year after year that has kind of led me to where I am. I, I would love to say it happened overnight, but it didn't. <laughs> yeah. So would you say, this is a really just personal question from my curiosity. Would you say I grew up with my dad telling me I'm perfect and because of my personality, I believed it and thought I was awesome. But would you say that's a really damaging label to put on some personality types? And because I remember saying that to my one of my best friends and she like grimaced physically of like, that mm -hmm. would be such a damaging label for me to live up to. And I'm like, no, it made me feel awesome. And I catch myself using that as an identifier. I'm like, you're perfect when I hold, you know, another friend's new baby or whatever. But would you... Would you say that could be a very damaging label to have to live up to? And it's really important for us to kind of be able to analyze, is that a good thing or a bad thing? Because I found it to be very positive for me, but whereas I can hear from, you know, a, one of my best friend's experience, that would be a very negative label to try to live up to. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think it depends on the person. And it goes, kind of goes back to what you said about the, the Enneagram, right? The numbers, like, I really believe that we are kind of like born 
with a particular type of personality, yeah. and, you know, and like we receive things differently or we're more like, if I called my husband perfect, he'd be like, whatever, you know, like he's just like, it would not affect him in the same way. Very similar to what you said about your friend. But I think that it, for some people, it can be damaging because it puts this unattainable idea out there that one day they'll have it all figured out that one day, you know, everything will be perfect and they won't have to worry about anything, whether it's in their subconscious or not, that is what they're telling themselves. And, you know, I'm a big fan of Brene Brown. I learned everything that I know about shame and perfectionism from her and the work that she's done. And, you know, she really does talk about the, this type of language and how we, we put these like standards on children specifically at a very young age that they just are going to constantly be pushing and pushing towards and never get there. And that just brings in a whole cycle of shame and failure and fears. So, you know, I I don't know Cal's personality yet, my son, but I avoid the word perfect at all costs because just of my own experience. I know that. I mean, that conversation I had with that friend, you know, was the first time I even realized that that could be damaging. And knowing that is my natural go-to as like an affirmation, you're perfect. And I, and it made me think, and even hearing your story again, reinforced with my children, you know, I've got to really watch and observe how they're wired because that could be the most kind affirmation or the most damaging affirmation, depending on who they are. Absolutely. And I think it also goes along the lines of like, more so using it as a label as well. And I think that's where no matter, you know, what personality type they might have labeling someone as perfect. And I heard a lot growing up, Oh, you're a perfectionist, right? You're it's cause you're a perfectionist or you'll do it cause you're a perfectionist. And so I just stepped into that label Got it. Yeah. and I started really being like, Oh, well that I'm this way. Like I'm having ulcers because I'm a perfectionist and I'm just naturally stressed. And I didn't realize that I have, I did that didn't define me. Right. But at that age, I couldn't figure that out. Totally, man. That is, I think so enlightening. So, okay. You notice this really as your son kind of, well, you notice the patterns of it, you know, in college, but really maybe taking a turn and a shift and like, okay, I've got to actually take action then moving forward. And then also when your son was born, how did you kind of reshape your identity as an entrepreneur, as a mother? How, How did you kind of start rewriting how you spoke to yourself? Yeah. So I think I started to read books as an entrepreneur, right? Everyone just tells you, read all these books (laughs) and you know, it's like the fast track to personal development. Yeah. And I started reading these books and the word vulnerability started showing up for me. And I have to be honest, I, I think I maybe heard the word vulnerability or paid attention to it like twice in my life before. And I started really exploring what is vulnerability and what does that mean? And I quickly started to realize that it was completely foreign to me, that being vulnerable, not only with people, but with people I loved was very difficult because of my history and the way that I labeled myself as a perfectionist. Being vulnerable is not something you do because when you're vulnerable, it doesn't look like you have it all together. And when you don't have it all together, guess what? You're not, you know, you're not perfect. And so I started really exploring this idea of vulnerability. And that's when I quickly realized that that was one of the reasons that I had had such a long labor was my inability to become vulnerable in those moments and let go. 
And so when I really realized that, I I started aggressively practicing it to, to be more open with the people I love, to have these conversations. And I started sharing it openly with people as I grew my business. And I found that people were really responding to that, that me showing up and saying I had a bad day today or talking about how I didn't do something exactly how I had thought I could do it or, you know, that launch that didn't work out people really started to resonate. And I think I started to realize how powerful it was and how I needed to support more women in doing that. And so at that point, I found Brene Brown, as I had mentioned before. And I remember reading her book, Daring Greatly. And I was sobbing in the first chapter because I had finally felt like I had kind of put all the pieces together. And for me, it was this this ability to be vulnerable with people that was finally going to let me heal my negative self-talk and, and the negative ways in which I was kind of leading my life. So now it's such a big part of my business and something that I just do every single day. Wow. So yeah, I know that, you know, even your Facebook group is named Authentic Brand Builders. I see that you've woven that into every aspect. How has it, how has your journey been not only with your own brand story, but helping shape others? How have you seen the positive effects of being authentic and being vulnerable? Because being vulnerable is hard work, especially if you, that's not been a habit or a pattern or a practice previously. So kind of how do you help women start getting comfortable with vulnerability? How do you help them start weaving that into their brand? I just kind of love to hear what your experiences have been with that. Yeah. So I think the coolest part of watching women do this in their own journey is the, their ability to build community, really strong community because people trust them. Right. And, and when people trust us, they're more likely to buy from us. And one of the things that I really focus on with my clients is creating a brand, not just a business, because the business is what you sell. It's the money, but the brand, that's really like the essence, the heart of everything. It's who you are. It's how you show up for your audience. It's the mission behind all of that. And you can only really have a brand in my eyes, a strong personal brand when you are vulnerable and showing up truthfully for your audience. So one of the things I do first with my clients is to really understand why they need to share their story. What is the purpose behind them sharing their story? How is it going to impact people? And really kind of starting to step into that worthiness because when, when people struggle with vulnerability, it is sometimes not always, but that they don't feel worthy of actually sharing what they're sharing. So we really go through this idea of becoming really grounded in their story. And then we start to explore who they want to attract with their story, because that's the second piece of the puzzle, right? Well, who, who are you going to affect when you actually share your vulnerabilities and show up as your true self? Who needs to hear this from you? And so we start going through that process of what does that person look like? And that allows my clients to create messaging that resonates with their audience from the start. And that is what starts to build this trust. And I watch my clients time and time again with tiny little lists selling out their one-on-one, -on -one, right? Because these people are like, yes, you're showing up, you're giving me value, you're telling it like it is. And I love that. I resonate with that. And it's giving them permission to do the same. And I think that's such a powerful piece of the puzzle. So, you know, once they, my clients start, they don't want to stop. <laughs> they just yeah. want to keep going because they see it, it really impacting them from the beginning. 
And then what I really do with my clients is to start looking at what's the big picture of their brand and their business. Maybe what they're doing right now is just kind of like a a gateway or or a bridge to what they ultimately want to do. Because the women I work with are ones that want to, you know, host retreats and write books and travel the world, you know, start nonprofits. And so we start to really look at what that big picture is and how they can use their story and this relationship building to get them there. And, and it all, again, it all just comes back to vulnerability and their willingness to show up as they truly are in that moment and share that with the world. I love that. One thing you kind of mentioned is you're helping people kind of bridge into what they really want to do. So what does that process look like? Because I know my brand is always evolving. You know, my husband asked me this morning, what are you, what's your next dream? (laughs) Well, I had this epiphany yesterday. Um, how do you help people kind of pivot bridge, bridge into the next thing or, or be okay with starting small and, and doing the thing right in front of you now and expanding over time, making peace with the playing the long game. Mm-hmm. That's actually what I recommend. I recommend starting with what you have in this moment. I think it's Mike Dooley who, who said that so well in his book, but he talks about, you know, do what you can with what you have basically right in front of you. And I think that's the most powerful piece, especially for entrepreneurs, because sometimes you know, looking at the big picture is important, but we don't want to live in the big pic- big picture only. Yeah. So we're just constantly like dreaming, but not actually doing. We see that a lot in the entrepreneur space where people are like, oh, this is what I want to do, but they're not taking the actions to do that. And so what I really do with my clients is, yes, let's be aware of the big picture and then let's reverse engineer. How are we going to get there? So a good example is my own story. I ultimately want to be on stage, right? I want to be a public speaker. So what can I do now in my business that will get me there? In the beginning, it was live video. I had a phone so I could start doing live video. Then it was, I could start getting my message out there and being a guest on podcasts, right? I had had about six months in my business. I was really clear on my messaging. I, I knew my story so I could start sharing that openly. And then even though I had this idea in the beginning, I didn't do it right away. About a year later, I started my own podcast. So that gave me my own platform, right? Yeah. To kind of be my, on my stage. So all of these things are getting me closer to the big picture, but I'm taking action based on what I'm going to see results with, because that's going to allow me to grow my business quicker. So I work with my clients to reverse engineer the big picture and focus on how can we expand your brand and bring in revenue so that you can continue to grow. And I think that's the most important piece. I love just the concept of reverse engineering the big picture because it does take just starting with what's in front of you. You know, I didn't start with an Instagram account with X amount of followers. I started with zero, just like everyone else. And yes. so I I, I'm, I love kind of just the practical advice of like, start with what you have, build on that, then build on that, then build on that. And it will pivot and shift and doors will open along the way. I just want to be able to say I was a faithful steward with what was right in front of me because I live in the future. Like my mind is there, but I'm really trying to rein it in and be present because I don't want to miss it. I don't want to live for, you know, whatever age I think I'll be successful by. 
Um, I want to really treat this season as success and be fully present and enjoy it. And I, I think that's like a daily practice for me and a daily practice for, for many, but I love everything you had to say there. So before we go, tell everyone what you're working on now, what how they can work with you, how they can be a part of what you're doing, the Free to Be podcast. Tell us all the things. Yes. So I am always working on something in my business, right? <laughs> so I'm sure there's something for you out there. But ultimately, I have you know three different levels that I work with my clients. One of them is my high-level one-on-one mastermind experience, which is really for the woman who has had their business and they are bringing in money, but they're they're ready for that next step, right? They're ready for that big picture. How do they get on those stages? How do they get on podcasts? What does that look like for them? And and then I have a group program that really walks women through the entire process of starting their business. It's a six month, you know, me in your back pocket type of experience called Roadmap to Freedom. And then I have my membership site, which is really for the woman who needs that support, but maybe isn't in a place where she's ready to go full time or has the money to invest fully and wants to kind of get what she needs in this moment and dabble. And that is one of my favorite babies that I created this year. So it's going to be growing more and more throughout the years. But my husband and I also have, you know, my brand as a whole is always evolving, just like you said. So I have this brand, Brand Mary, but over the the last couple of years, I've really created this movement, the free to be movement. And so I started my own podcast just in September of 2018. It's been beautiful, but my husband and I are about to embark on a huge journey where we are actually renovating an RV, a travel trailer. I get yelled at because I call it an RV, a travel trailer and selling our home. Home and we're going to travel for a year. And so the free to be podcast is actually going to show our journey, our story, kind of a behind the scenes of how we're running our businesses and living this free life. So there's so many different ways to connect, you know, and, and for me to support anyone listening, whether it's just listening to the podcast and getting a great insight or, or one of the, the programs that I offer. Oh, I love that. Michelle, it has been so fun to talk to you. I feel like we could go on and on, but I have a feeling our Radiant Tribe people are going to be wanting to connect with you, check you out on the Free to Be podcast, and it has been such a joy for me to get to know you and to connect with you, and I look forward to our conversations ahead. Thank you so much for having me and for asking the really deep questions. I appreciate that. Thanks for joining me. Hey, don't go yet. I would love it if you go over to iTunes right now and leave a review. I love hearing your feedback and it really makes a difference in getting the Radiant Podcast name out there. And while you're at it, why don't you subscribe and then share this episode on Facebook or Instagram or wherever your social media platform is of choice. Lastly, I'd love to keep up with each other. Come find me on Instagram at Kels Chapman and let's get to know each other. Cozy up for the holidays with 60% off everything at Banana Republic Factory, including soft sweaters, comfy pajamas, must-have gifts, and more for $9.99. Find your nearest store now, only at Banana Republic Factory. Get 50 through 70% off almost everything at Gap Factory and GapFactory.com. Plus, shop new doorbusters for the family, including outerwear, jeans, and our Gap logo crewneck sweatshirt. Find it all at Gap Factory or GapFactory.com through December 14th. It's not every day you have to replace a water heater, more like every 10 years. The Home Depot can help with a wide selection of the latest models from Ream and a helpful online water heater buying guide to help make choosing the right Ream easy. 
from gas to electric tankless. Even smart models that can spot a leak before it happens. Water heaters have come a long way. You don't have to. Go to homedepot.com to find the latest Ream water heaters and helpful answers and advice from our water heater buying guide. Only from the Home Depot. How doers get more done.